0: That's, that's 10 years ago, right? Flying cars. It's amazing to me how, how, how off they were on all their proje- predictions of the future. I mean, they did get right the cell phones, I think, and the video projectors, but the flying cars, they, they totally missed out on. <laughs> Same with the laser guns. I don't have a, a, a Predator 2 laser gun yet, um, which I'm bummed out about, but yeah, they're not very good at predicting these things. So, um, As Corey mentioned earlier, hi, my name is Brandon. Um, I did do this as a job. I know that sounds weird, but I was a substitute preacher for a while. Uh, so this is something that I'm used to doing. It's great because I come in with no expectations. And then if it's good, you guys can go, man, that was great. And if it's bad, you can go, I didn't have any time to prepare. Okay, so <laughs> it's kind of a win-win for me in this time. So, um, But what I want to do is we're going to the passage I'm focusing on today Uh, It's one of my favorite gospel passages, probably the favorite gospel passage that I have. Um, It's in John chapter 4, we'll read it, but the reason why I love this so much is that it encourages us to evangelize. There's some Old Testament stuff in there that is beautiful, and then there's a really challenging part, or really, um, I think, a magnificent part of this that people miss a lot that I'm excited to share with you. So, if you would go ahead and stand, we'll read John 4, so it's... John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 30. Okay. So, John 4, 1 through 30. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. And he, came to pass, and he, had, he had to pass through Samaria. for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so I will not have to be thirsty or come here to draw water." Jesus said to her, "Go and call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had 5 husbands when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, coming. he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They, they went out of town and were coming to him. All right, let's pray. Father, we just praise you for um, just the new year, first and foremost. Praise you that, that we get to kind of have like this reset button built into our culture uh, where we get to... You know, make these plans that we think we're, we're going to um, accomplish, um, but we praise you that you are in control of everything, Father. Um, I pray that as we study this passage that we would be encouraged, number one, as believers, and that we would learn to, that you would use your word to teach us on how to speak to non-believers in particular, Father. So we just thank you and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can go ahead and see. Right, I mentioned earlier this is one of my favorite passages, okay? Um, it does require a little bit of geography. Okay, you have to kind of understand what's going on, where Jesus is at this time. So in the Gospel of John, it's not necessarily chronological with the other Gospels. It's more about highlighting certain stories. You have in, in chapter 2, there was the wedding at Cana, performed the miracle. And then in chapter 3, we have Nick at night, as I call it, where it's Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to talk to him, and uh, just, you know, answer all these questions that he had, all right, and then Jesus departs from there, and he starts baptizing in the wilderness, okay, and that's where we are, and it says when um, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, so where we are on the map, okay, Israel, he's, he's south, okay, that's where Judea is, the southern part, and he's going north to Galilee, Okay, and to, to get there, you had to pass through this region called Samaria, and that's where the geography is. Okay, and if you, if you know your history about Israel and what was that region, if you remember in the past, the kingdom was split in two, okay? So you had the southern kingdom of Judah, you had the northern kingdom of Israel, it was called, okay? And Samaria was actually the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? That's, that's why Samaria was important in that time. And so we have here that Jesus was going through there and he stopped, they they stopped in Samaria, okay? In verse six, it says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So a couple things about this verse. Okay, number one, Jesus got tired, okay? Remember, he was fully man, okay? So this is an encouragement to us that even Jesus got tired. All right, he sat down, he was waiting there for something to happen here. Okay. Um, he's sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour, so the time of that, and that's the sixth hour of daylight, so it says, you might have a little note that says about noon there, um, so the time of day is important as well. Uh, at the time of noon, you shouldn't encounter people at a well. Okay. Reason for that is usually people got their water in the morning when it wasn't so hot, or at night for the same reason, okay? So, middle of the day, it's the hottest time, so usually people aren't lugging gallons of water around, okay? So, you really shouldn't be encountering people, especially a woman, okay? Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and then Jesus said, give me a drink. Simple question, right? Kind of, it's not polite, in my mind, but <laughs> we don't want to please and thank you here, but Uh, Anyways, he says, give me a drink here, Um, and it says, for his disciples went away to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John puts in quotations here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the question is, why don't Jews have dealings with Samaritans? You know, why did John have to add that in there? And why is the woman shocked by this? Okay. So she sees Jesus, immediately recognizes he's a Jew somehow. I don't know if it's his clothing, his accent, whatever. She immediately recognizes that he is Jewish. And she says, why are you, ask, why are you even talking to me, a Samaritan? So why don't Jews have dealings with Samaritans? Well, if you turn, this is to simplify it, okay, you turn to Second Kings, 2 Kings chapter 17, we'll find out exactly why Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. So it's 2 Kings chapter 17. Kings is after Samuel, verse 2 Kings 17. If you start in verse 24, look at that. So again, where we are in history here, the kingdom has been split in two. Talked about that. Okay, southern kingdom is Judah, northern kingdom is Israel. And it says Assyria resettles Samaria is the title I have in my Bible here. So it's 2nd Kings 17 verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kithua, Avah, Hamath, and Sepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So he took people away, and then resettled it with other people. That's what happened. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in the cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, And behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Verse 29. But every nation still made gods of its own, and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. And then, if you just skip down a little bit to verse 33, so they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. Okay. So what had happened was it was resettled this land. God sent lions to kill people. Okay, which is crazy enough. All right, and then. The king was like, oh, it's because they're not worshiping that god of that region, so let's resettle it with, or let's give them a priest to teach them how to worship. And the crazy part is that they, they send this priest, he teaches them, but it says they still worship other gods. And that's what the Samaritan people became. They were a people that worshipped God sometimes, but still worshipped all the other gods of the area. Okay, So they were kind of like these, these half- Half-breeds, I'll call them, where they're somewhat Jewish, but not really. They're still worshiping other gods. And that verse 33 is really striking to me, where it's like, so they feared God, but they still worshiped their own gods. Okay? And that became the, the, the basis for the Samaritan people. So that's why Jews, in particular, rejected the Samaritans, because they did not worship the same God. So That's the history behind this. That's why Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And why it would be a shock for this woman to encounter a Jewish person and have them talking with her. So, back in John chapter 4, if you want to flip back there. All right, verse 9 the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you are asking me for a drink? Woman of Samaria. And verse 10 says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me pause here for a second. So he answers her question with kind of another question in a way. You know, what, if you only knew who was talking to you, you would ask for living water. And living water is a kind of a strange phrase to me. Um, it, it, what does it mean? Well, again, to a person who knew the Old Testament in particular, living waters was something that, that was ascribed to God, okay? And a couple verses here just to show you, alright, we have Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon you, your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. So it's this idea of, of, of of water represented this, this living thing that, that gave life, and it was attributed to God, okay? More famously, Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy? Listen diligently, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me Here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love, sure love for David. And it's this idea of of God is representing this living water that is is coming, that is giving life to people. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you this. If you knew who I was, you would ask for that. Uh, Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So, this is going to start the p- portion where we're kind of talking about evangelism here in this, this passage, okay? We're seeing how the God of the universe evangelizes someone who doesn't know him, okay? He starts with the phrase, or the statement that, if you knew who I was, I would give you life, and she takes it literal and says, well, what are you talking about? You don't have a bucket to draw water with, Okay? So she's missing the point here. She missed the part where Jesus was like, I'm going to give you living water. I'm, I'm God here. And so she, she takes it literal, okay? And she says, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So again, she's kind of getting the idea about the well and water, but she's missing the whole part of, of Jesus being living water here. Um. And then she says, um, are you greater than the, our father Jacob? So she's kind of referencing the old people. So she's, she's name dropping here. I know who Jacob is, right? I know that he is responsible for this well here. Uh, but she's not, again, understanding the whole heart of the Old Testament here. So Jesus said in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So again, he gets very spiritual with it. So he goes with her in terms of, yeah, this is about you thinking about regular water. Okay, if you drink this water again, you're going to be thirsty. It's just going to be this cycle. You just keep being thirsty. But the water that I'm going to give you will last forever. And on, further on in John, in chapter 7, Jesus says this, okay, John 7, 37 through 38, he stands up and cries out on the last day of the feast, the great day, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, it quotes the Old Testament. So it's this idea that Jesus number one, obviously knew he was this living water and was promising it to people, but he's hinting at it here first with this woman at the well. He's saying, this is living water that I'm going to give you and you will never thirst again if you take it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, it's a great point here, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. So again, she's very literal, She's talking about the well still, that she wants to not have to come here anymore. Okay. So verse 15 here, what I want you to notice is that she asked Jesus for this water. She asked Jesus for, she doesn't know it, she asked him for eternal life. Okay. She doesn't know what she's asking, but she's, that's what she's saying here. And then Jesus' response just blows me away verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Okay, so ladies, let me pause here for a second, all right? This is not some patriarchal thing where Jesus is like, only a man can teach you salvation, nothing like that, okay? Let me just pause there. But it is a fascinating statement, right? She asks for eternal life, and Jesus says, go call your husband. Why would he do that? Why? Why? Why is that? Through? Why isn't it? Here's how you get eternal life: believe in me. Why doesn't he say that? Well, based on her response here, verse 17, the woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true." So Jesus calls out a sin issue. Okay, he says go call your husband because that is what is in the way of her getting this eternal life. Okay, He's dealing with the sin issue that is preventing her from having eternal life. Please see that in this passage. Okay, And he says you've had five husbands and the man you're currently with is not your husband, implying that somehow they're not in a covenantal relationship and she's been divorced five times. Okay? So how would you respond to that? Okay, the God of the universe just called out your unrepentant adultery. How do you respond to that? Well, verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's right. More than a prophet, right? But that's what she, okay, so you clearly know something about me that no one else knows. Verse 20, our fathers... Worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So Jesus calls out her unrepentant adultery and she goes, Let's talk about worship. You guys see that? It's called deflecting. Okay? It's you just called out my sin issue. What about worship? Okay? That is a tactic that every non-believer uses when you are trying to minister them. It is common. Okay? They don't want to talk about sin issues. They want to talk about obscure things to get out of the fact that you're confronting them with some sin. Okay? And that's, we can learn from this with how Jesus responds here. Okay? So, she says, I want to talk about worship instead of my unrepentant adultery. Okay, fine. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, So let me just pause, so he's he's got two parts of the statement, but let me pause here. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem we worship. So he goes with her there, talks about worship, dresses that, saying worship is not important right now, because whether it's this mountain or that mountain, it's going to change. The whole fabric of reality is going to change as far as how you come to God. Okay, so it doesn't matter this worship right here or this mountain. And then verse 22, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So what he does there is he goes and talks about worship, but then says to her face that she doesn't know God. Just think about that for a second. She was claiming to know, I know Jacob, I know who he is. I worship, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And Jesus says, you don't worship God. You don't have salvation for salvation is from how the Jews are worshiping God, okay? And that's something that when I'm reading this, I go, man, I'm a coward sometimes when I'm talking with people, because I'm afraid to say those things. And that's a challenge for us as we're, you know, talking with our friends, family members. It's a challenge for us to be bold and to be able to say, you aren't worshiping God. Jesus was not afraid to say that here. Obviously, he's God, I know that, but I'm talking about, this is a lesson for us as we're talking with people. He wasn't afraid to say, you don't worship the right God. Paul was not afraid to say that either. Okay, so it is possible for us to get to a place as believers where we can say to people, you think you're worshiping something, but you're not worshiping the right God. Okay, and that's what Jesus says to her here. All right, salvation is from the Jews, just meaning that that is the way that, again, think about the context of the kingdom split and the Samaritans were worshiping all these other gods along with God out of fear. And Jesus is like, no, 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 the, the Jews have it the right path to this. Okay. And then verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And that has always been the case. This is not new. God has wanted people to worship him in spirit and truth. That's what the people of the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, missed about God. They were all about the works. Okay? It's all about the sacrifice, making sure that God is, is appeased, his wrath is appeased. Think about it from the, the people who was, uh, went into and, and filled Assyria, or I'm sorry, Samaria, they only worshipped God to stop the lions from eating them, okay? That's the only reason why they accepted this priest. They didn't worship God out of a heart of love and wanting the relationship with him. It was just, please have these lions stop killing us, okay? They feared wrath. And what Jesus is saying is now, got, and it's been always the case, God wants people to worship him in spirit and truth. He wants your heart. Okay, he doesn't want your actions that, where your heart is far from me. How many times in the Old Testament does God say that to his people? Your hearts are far from me. Right? Yes, go ahead and add blood to your sacrifices. Okay, do all that stuff. Are you going to rob, steal, murder, and come into my house and say, we are delivered? No, so he says in Jeremiah 7. Okay? So Jesus is saying something is changing about how you perceive to worship God. Um, verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So again, that, that's an amazing statement from God about, from Jesus about who God is and wanting people to love him in spirit and truth. Verse 25, again, changing the subject, the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So what's fascinating about this to me is that she had this concept of the Messiah, right? So it's it's clear that she wasn't someone who had no clue about religion at all, right? If she had the concept of the Messiah, it's not, you know, this huge thing throughout all the Old Testament, the Messiah. It's only mentioned a couple times. But she had this idea of, okay, yeah, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to teach us. Okay, so again, she's changing the subject a little bit, but, and Jesus says, reveals to her i who speak to you am he finally addressing the salvation question right i want this living water and jesus says that's me okay sorry i'm flipping the page here next verse just then the disciples came back and and when i read this I view it as Jesus is about to say something more profound as he's saying, I who speak to you am he, and then he gets interrupted, okay? I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but in my mind, that's what's happening here. He's saying, I who speak to you am he, and then the disciples come stumbling in, interrupting everything, talking about what bread they got, okay? And I say that because that happens also when we're evangelizing, okay? When we're talking with people, you'll be just ready to, to, to give them the gospel presentation that you've worked so hard on, your five points, okay? And someone will interrupt you. You'll get a phone call. They'll get a phone call. Someone will come in, burst in. Kids will cry. You know, whatever happens. That's part of life, okay? You have got to trust that God is going to use your words that you have just spoken to still impact a person's life. It's okay that you don't get to finish the conversation. God will use it. I remember we, uh, so I was part of a college ministry too, not to go through my whole work history, but I was part of a college ministry on Ohio State's campus, and we would do Bible studies. And I remember our last Bible study of the year, I'm not even going to tell the year because it was a long time ago, but uh, we, we went to McDonald's okay, on campus. And if you are familiar with campus, Um, There's not really, at the time, there wasn't really any places to eat. We didn't have Chick-fil-A. We didn't have Raisin Cane's. It was crazy, okay? So we had to go off campus for a lot of our food, okay? Now, again, at the time, campus was, what's the word? Um, A little dangerous off campus, okay? You start to wander on Fifth Avenue and you can get in a little trouble, okay? And you encounter a lot of different people. Okay, that's what happens in, in the big cities. So we're sitting there eating outside. It was a nice day. We're just talking about how the summer's going, whatever. I can't remember all the specifics. And this woman comes up, clearly homeless. Okay, you can clearly tell she's homeless. And she stops right at her table. She looks right at me and she goes, if you say another word, I'm going to kill you. So she says to me, none of my arrogance, I was like, excuse me? Okay, I don't recommend that, but I was a young college kid, okay? And so I'm like, you know, what? Like, what's going on here? And then she just kind of wanders off into the store, okay? So weird circumstance. Then later on, we're sitting there, and I could feel someone behind me. You know, it was one of those moments where I'm talking, everybody's eyes get a little bigger, and I could feel someone standing behind me, and it's that woman. And she just looks at me, and she just gives me a hug. I'm like, okay, this is weird. (laughs) What is going on here? And then she starts hugging everyone at the table. Okay, and we're like, what is going on with this lady? And so she starts wandering. Again, I don't remember all the conversation, but it gets to the point where I'm talking with her one-on-one. And I'm I'm looking at her, and she just, out of nowhere, it was like she snapped out of it, okay? She was crazy, clearly. But at this split second, she snapped out of it, and she goes, look at me. How could anyone love me? That's what she said. How could anyone love me? It's the closest thing I can think of to like, when it talks about scales falling from people's eyes, that's what it felt like in that moment. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. And just then, the manager comes out and kicks her out and is screaming at her, get off the property, you're not welcome here, blah, blah, blah. Just then, right as I was about to say it, and I just thought that was, that's the example Jesus is talking about when you're about to say something or even when you do and the crows come and take it, okay? There is an enemy of this world who hates people. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates everything about God. He does not want people to be saved and he's going to work his hardest to stop that, okay? That is going to happen as well. You're going to get interrupted. Things are not going to go as planned. But you have got to trust that God's word does not return void, ever. Even in that split second that I got to talk to her, hopefully it worked or something. God used that in some way. But distractions are going to happen. The disciples came back. It says they marveled that he was talking with a woman. So it must have been out of character for Jesus to be talking with people like that. So the woman left her water jar, verse 28, and went away into the town. And said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So, number one, the woman left the very thing that she came there for. That's why she was there for water. She left it because something greater had happened. So there's something better now. And she goes and tells people to come and see Jesus. This is huge because the reason why she's there at noon is to avoid people. That's why a woman goes to a well at noon rather than the morning or, the, or the, at night. That's when they would you know, congregate, have fun, talk about things while they're getting in the water. She wanted to avoid all people because she was ashamed of herself. And this woman drops everything and goes and tells everybody, encounters those people she's trying to avoid, and tells them to come see Jesus spectacular all in this little conversation here this five minute conversation with someone so salvation has occurred here and I think that is so spectacular to see that and just that small conversation obviously this is God he's sovereign he knew this was exactly how it was going to happen he knew exactly what to say but for us it's encouraging because even in these short conversations as long as you are sharing God's truth these type of things can happen Absolute transformation can happen just with these short conversations with people. Okay? Really powerful stuff here. And then if you look on down, it's crazy because the people actually believe in Jesus. So who are these people? Well, again, these are the Samaritans. These are people who were worshiping other gods. And it says that they actually believed in Jesus partly because of the woman's testimony of him. And what was her testimony? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's what she said. Jesus didn't say everything she ever did, he just called out her unrepentant adultery. Obviously, that was a sovereign thing that he knew that was going on in her life. She didn't tell anybody, but that was her testimony. He talked about my sin and welcomed me, he spoke with me. That was her testimony, and it worked. So for you, our testimonies do not have to be these grand, amazing stories that you think are worthy of movies. No, 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 no. They can be simple. I was sinning, and Jesus responded to me. Okay? It can be simple like that. So, I know I'm pretty close to time here, but um, there's one more thing. As a preacher, you have to say there's one more thing. Um, that I want you to see in this passage because this is when I learned this it, it totally blew me away about what was going on here okay so there, there, there are three things going on here okay so there is literal adultery in this story okay the woman was committing adultery against God number one okay she's worshipping other gods you could look at it she's she's out of wedlock sleeping with another man Okay, adultery against God as well adultery against her other husband, her original husband, right? There's all these different things. There's spiritual adultery, the false gods, as I mentioned, and then there's actually this, this concept of Israel's past adultery, okay? Because remember, we're talking about the Samaritans here who were worshiping other gods and committing adultery against God, Yahweh, and so those are all elements in this story. And there's an Old Testament passage that mirrors this perfectly, okay? And so I want you guys to turn there. So it's actually found in Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to turn all the way. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 24. This is 24. All right, and the, the back story of this, Abraham's super old, okay? Obviously, he was old to begin with when we meet him, but he's now really old, and he wants a wife for his son, Isaac, okay? If you remember, God promised Abraham some things, Blessed him with a son in his old age. But now he's like, my son's not married. So this is going to stop here. So that's his, his wish, his desire is for his son to have a bride. Okay? So Abraham commands a servant of, God, of him, okay, a servant, to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. Okay, he says, I need you to find this. Make sure you don't bring Isaac there, though. That was the stipulation. It's kind of strange. He's like, I don't want my son traveling there. You have to go and find a bride. Can you imagine that? Kids over here, can you guys imagine your parents saying, they're sending someone else to go find you guys a bride? Wouldn't that be weird? Okay, anyways. Um, it's, he's asking someone else to go find a bride for his son. Okay? And what we're going to pick up is in verse 12. Okay? All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 11. Let's start there. So this is the servant who's in this country here, okay? And he, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. So at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Notice that, okay? That's when women go get water. Verse 12, and he said, "'O Lord, God of my master Abraham,' this is a servant praying, "'please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham.'" Verse 13, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Verse 15, Before he had finished speaking, Behold, Rebecca. who was was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden or virgin whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. The servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. So give me a drink. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Okay, so the rest is history, all right? This is, in fact, Isaac's Rebecca here. Um, Through this, God would use them to father the nation of Israel, okay? But it all started with this story here, okay? The birth of the nation of Israel started with this story, okay? And I want you to notice the similarities here, all right? So number one, we have a servant serving his, let's say, father, Abraham, okay? We have a servant who's given a mission to find a bride, okay? He's finding a bride for someone, okay? And then the obvious similarity is he's at a well, okay? People are coming to draw water. Another similarity, he says, give me a drink to this woman, give me a drink and that's pretty much where the similarities stop but what I think we can tie into what happened in John chapter 4 here is profound okay so in this story in Genesis how was Rebecca described well very beautiful okay something's either beautiful or not but she was very beautiful okay she was a virgin pure let's say that's who the bride was for the people of Israel. Okay, that's who started this for them. Then let's fast forward to John chapter 4. Okay. This is Jesus, a servant of God, looking for a bride. Remember the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2? He was just at a wedding. This is him looking for a bride. But who was his bride? Who comes? Does he, who does he ask for a drink? Remember, the prayer of the servant was, God, whoever I say, give me a drink, let that be the bride. And Jesus initiated the conversation with the woman at the well by saying, give me a drink. That's what he started with. And who was his bride? She was an adulterous woman. Was she beautiful? I don't know. Doesn't describe her as beautiful. But we know that she was adulterous. We know that she had committed adultery against God. That was the bride that God chose. That's us. We are adulterous, okay? We are the adulterers in every story here in the Old Testament. That's our hearts. And God is saying, give me a drink. Okay, he's, he's selecting us as his bride. It's not how I would have done it, but it's how God chose to do it. Okay, And that is incredible to me when you see that in this story in John 4, that this was a marriage that just took place here between God and his people. He selected adulterers idolaters okay to be to make his bride and he's going to die for them so that we can live for him okay and that blew me away when i saw that in this story especially the parallel in the old testament so what do we take away from this well again she represented and i'm talking about the woman at the well here in john 4 she represented everything israel was to god she was unfaithful adulterous Yet here God was seeking them out, seeking us out, to fulfill the vows that he made a long time ago. I titled this, I think, God is faithful when we are unfaithful is the name of this message. That's how God operates. He has always been seeking a people, and this is who he chose here. So uh, we're going to take a time, uh, we're going to go into a time of communion here. And what I want you guys to really think about is there's a couple things here, okay? Number one, evangelism. I really want to encourage and challenge you through this John chapter 4 passage to talk with your family members, to not be afraid, okay? There's a lot you can glean from it. Obviously, you're not going to be sovereign and know exactly what people are going through, but you can learn some truths through Jesus' words. Okay, you can be bold. You can say things like, I don't think you're worshiping the right God. Okay, explain to them where living water comes from, why the well that they're going to will always cause them to be thirsty again. That's what sin is. Always seeking more, but it's never satisfying. Okay, I encourage you to talk with your family members that way. And then I would also encourage us to remember who we are and what God has done for us. Okay, and that's what communion is. It's remembering the sacrifice when he bought us with his body with his blood. He bought us so that we can be in a relationship with him and worship him in spirit and truth. So Let me close in prayer here. Father, uh, we just praise you for your word. It is absolutely glorious to see the promises that you fulfill through Jesus's life and that we get to read them and we get to marvel at them, Father. I praise you for that. I pray for everyone in this room that as we go out that, that we can be bold, Father, that we can have these conversations with our family, with our friends, uh, knowing that, that you also had these conversations with people. Uh, and I just pray for our boldness, Father, I really do. I pray that we would know our scripture, that we can communicate it clearly, um, and that we can use our personal testimony of what you've done in our hearts, Father, uh, to, to, to talk to others. And I pray to always remember your sacrifice, Jesus and how you died. You were murdered on our behalf. We were enemies of you, and yet you died for us to make us your bride, Father. So we just thank you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.